Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan. Today we are uh, going to have episode, uh, a part two of our episode with Matt Domjensic. Um In the first episode, we talked about mental health, men's mental health, talked a little bit about Matt's background as a police officer, a member of SWAT, and some of the... Uh, awesome things that he is doing to help people that have help counsel people that have had traumatic events in their life. Uh, in this, this part two episode, we're going to talk more about masculinity and how does that look? Matt has a really interesting perspective on masculinity because uh, coming from a very uh, dominant career path of uh, police officers and shooting and running and gunning um, and lifting weights, but he also has a, an amazing perspective from the uh, psychological or theological side, um, yeah. which really grounds him in in his idea and identity of what masculinity is. Yep, it's a great episode, and we talk about a lot of good stuff, lots of great gems this guy drops. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. The next topic of conversation we wanted to talk about was masculinity. And kind of that, you know, we've kind of hinted on it a lot and a little bit that we've talked about mental health, but that, that kind of, uh, I guess, stigma of the, the macho and the not, not showing emotion and what it's, it's kind of this underlying expectation of men to be masculine. But then at the same point in time, the, the world is calling that masculine underlying requirement toxic. And they're saying, oh, like they expect us to be this thing, that they, this box that they put us in. But then when we go into that box, then we're, we're, we're told that, hey, that's, that's you know, terrible and mean and egotistical and, and, you know, toxic and all these different types of things. And so it, where's the balance in that? I, I mean, mm-hmm. what, what can we do to... I think some of that 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 man stuff, quote unquote man stuff that that men particularly like to do is necessary, is needed. And uh, I think it's healthy, but I liked what you said earlier about, you know, garden or woodwork or do something that is maybe not like a a a, a fight type scenario, something that grounds you and calms you uh, a little bit. So um, I don't know what, what what have you seen in the profession, and maybe we can just take a, a little step back and get um, a little kind of defined history of a little bit of your background to to bring us up to the point of you know when I was reading through your bio, I was like I don't even know where to start. I mean, it's it, there's 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 so much there that can that can tie to this masculinity and and. Uh, how people are are viewed and trained and looked at. Uh, so could you start there and then just kind of lead in a little bit into uh, what what you've seen as far as masculinity goes in, in those fields? Where specifically do you want me to start? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, just I maybe just start like at, as a as a police officer. Um, is that kind of where that you where your career started, um, or did you have a career before before you were a police officer? So uh, basically, so I went to grad school first. I have three masters. My first one was forensic science, thinking I wanted to be in the, a federal agent. And it's, you know, different stories why I decided not to. One was I did an internship training with a lot of special forces and SWAT teams for three months on a mountain in West Virginia with alpha males extraordinaire. <laughs> that sounds cool. And I really loved the enlisted special forces and big city SWAT guys and the feds that came through weren't into shooting and fighting and just it was not like the movies. And then uh -huh. in my grad school classes, the feds, some of them admitted, hey, I had more fun as a cop. Being a feds, a lot of a lot of times it can be a, like a, a white collar type job. Yeah. Um, and so I discerned that I thought I might want to go into full time ministry because I was coaching all through grad school and doing sports ministry. Man, someday I may want to go into full time ministry. Someday I may want to be a psychologist. Those are always my interests. And I thought I wanted to be a fed. I really have liked all these cops I've met and you get to be on a team, wear a uniform, get a lot of action. And you're also going to see addiction and violence and abuse and mental health issues. You're going to see all kinds of stuff in the trenches of life that I could go get a PhD. And I had already been studying psychology within forensics, but that's not the same of being immersed in the experience of those things. So I was like, I can go do ministry as a cop because everybody's having a bad day, victims and criminals. So what better place to show love and respect? You don't preach, you know, as one of my favorite quotes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times when absolutely necessary, use words. How you live your life and treat other people makes a bigger impact than preaching or Bible thumping. So I was like, man, I can go love on people as a cop and learn psychology and spirituality in the trenches and still get to probably get in car chases, foot chases, fights, and try to make a SWAT team. So I became a cop as a form of ministry and where I evaluated, and this ties into my life philosophy that happened during undergrad when I had a, a deep, deep spiritual conversion. I'm a cradle Catholic. I went to mass every Sunday in college, nobody had to tell me to, I prayed, but I prayed to be good at football, help me with this test and get me through this hangover and I'll never drink again. <laughs> Very immature relationship grounded in my needs and wants, you know? And so in college, longer story, I had a deep conversion through a serious football injury. And part of that conversion and deep dive my last year of undergrad was learning that I think life is about for, for men, especially, but for all human beings, eventually in something called the second half of life, which is a whole other topic, first half of life, second half of life, what gifts and talents do you have? Have you been given? And your gift back to God, as I kind of interpret it and messages from my dad as a kid, is developing those gifts and talents. And to those who have been given much, much will be expected. And also our life experiences, we learn lessons that should be shared with others. That's the point even of a lot of the hardships. God's not punishing us. It's not because you didn't go to church or pray hard enough or tithe. Like bad things happen to good people all the time. There's free will. But bad things happen and God can pull you through it. And there's a lesson for you to learn that you can share with somebody else. 
So what lessons have you learned and gifts and talents have you developed? And where is there a need in the world that your gifts and talents and the lessons you've learned fit that need, if that makes sense? And I think that's where a lot of us would be happy and fulfilled. So that's why I became a police officer. I thought the gifts and talents I had and the desire to serve God and love on people in need and crisis could be met by being a cop. And then down the road, if I went into ministry or became a psychologist, I would have richer experiences than some of my colleagues who have just gone undergrad, master's, PhD, then they open an office or now they're teaching in academia and they've never done whatever their craft, pick a topic. They've never built a bridge, but they're an engineering professor. Yeah. yeah. Training people to build bridges. That, that's why I wanted to talk about your kind of a little bit of that background. I think you perfectly tied it in. I mean, that, that, that was kind of great setup in how, you know, you kind of have that, that really masculine portion of the experiences and the police officers and SWAT and everything else. But then at the same point, you kind of have that other end of, of religion and, and ministry and, and feeling that's so powerful that I don't think everyone has both of those, both of those experiences. Um, yeah. And I think that sometimes, you know, personally, I think that, you know, uh, the ultimate example of, of, of masculinity is uh, our, our example as uh, humans is, is Christ. Uh, he was uh, uh, the best man of honor that there, there ever will be. And I think that there's lots of lessons to learn about masculinity from his example. But, um, you know, I liked what you were saying earlier about you know, going out shooting with guys. Uh, you go out and you can shoot with guys and you show them some stuff or wrestle with them or do jujitsu with them. And then after you kind of disarm them in a way to say like, Hey, I'm on your level. I can do this fun stuff. But also have you considered these other th- aspects of health, uh, like meditation or like, uh, journaling or, or talking to God? Have you tried these things? And I, I think that that's a, a great way to, um, you know, to, to kind of break down some of those barriers that guys might have initially, uh, we're like, Oh, that's just, you know, fuzzy stuff. I'm not interested in that. Then they might say, okay, well, this guy's a, you know, a hardened a BA and then he's telling me to, to do meditation. It's like, okay, maybe there's, maybe this isn't such a fuzzy, you know, girly thing. Maybe like understanding my emotions, understanding how to, uh, think and be present is an important mm-hmm. thing. And I think that that meshing of of masculinity, the the strength and the ability to um, like emotional strength too. That's a huge part of I think being masculine as well that a lot of the guys miss. And I think you mm-hmm. were saying earlier you see that quite a bit uh, with some of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. How, I, and I wish more people. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, how do you? What's the best way, um, and, and maybe this is personally for you, but how is the combination uh, between this this really tough man, grit, uh, physical masculinity, how is the combination between that and then maybe like a, a, a softer version of ma- masculinity that is more of a, a listener and a, a, a helper and an understanding, how have both of those experiences combined help to to build what your view of masculinity is well what just popped in my head and since i know you guys are christians you know god is not a man and you go study theology and there's feminine adjectives for god in scripture 
And so in some circles of theology, they will say God embodies both ultimately both masculine and feminine traits to the to the utmost. And we are made in the image of God. And the more we grow in life spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, and we chip away at our ego. And once we, you know, as the ego dies, small deaths every day or every year, hopefully, there's allows more room for God and more room for our true self as we lose some of our immaturity and our ego over time. And God and our true self are two sides of the same coin. And if we're made in the image of God, that means we also eventually in what's called the second half of life and Jungian psychology, depth psychology, and in a lot of spirituality, we have to get in touch with some of our feminine traits, just like a woman needs to get in touch with some of their masculine traits. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, there's no prescription to tell everybody how to do that. Yeah. And I, and I've gone through a lot of therapy and a lot of spiritual direction, a lot of meditation and journaling to try to look back at my life and see so many different influences that have allowed me to do that. But I am so grateful, you know, and I, I wouldn't change a thing that I am this guy that's done the football and the powerlifting and the SWAT and the coaching of D one athletes and NFL athletes. And I'm also the guy that every ex-girlfriend and female friend of mine laughs that when we're watching a movie and we're close together, they can tell when I'm crying because they can feel me shaking and be like, Oh my God. Or my neighborhood, they joke in my neighborhood that I'm the dog whisperer. I pet everybody's dogs, even the little dogs. And I get so excited and pick the little dogs up and people think it's funny, especially when I used to be bigger and have a big beard or whatever. I'm this big hillbilly guy in a, in an affluent Los Angeles beach town. That's petting everybody's little dogs. Um, so it's worked out well for me. I just wish more men had permission. And I've had men in my life that have indirectly by their modeling, giving, given me permission to tap into those aspects of myself. And my dad's a hard ass and a driven man, but in, in private moments, a lot of hunting, a lot of spending time hunting with my dad as a child and at the range and in the woods and having deep one-on-one -on -one conversations. He was a very nourishing emotional man and every night in his chair starting as a child and I remember and my dad is so attentive to me and my three sisters great dad and father hunger and father wound are other subjects we should touch on but or maybe at a later time but my dad I remember as a little kid he was in the chair and I kept trying to talk to him and he ignored me which was like what that's weird and he got done and I'll never forget and I was a little boy he said Matt when I'm doing that I'm talking to God so don't interrupt me when I'm praying and talking to God. That's my time every night. So in so many ways, my dad modeled to me, you know, taking care of business, being assertive, developing your talents and gifts, taking care of your loved ones, contributing to the community, but also nourishing a relationship with God or a higher power or your truer self or whatever you find is sacred in this world that's beyond your your own ego. And I, even the toughest dudes I've met as athletes, cops, and soldiers, ultimately, after you've had a few difficulties in your life, you realize there's some mystery bigger than you, whether you want to believe it's, quote, God or not. There's something more important than your own ego, even if it's you're eventually going to meet some other person or have a child that you're going to love more than yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And so 
I don't know if I answered your question, yeah. but I've okay. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I think you gave us some great examples. I like I love that example about your your own dad and and how he prioritized that time talking to God and 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 also some of the ways that he was modeling uh, those positive behaviors to you and and being nourishing to you. I did want to touch on uh, on those two things you mentioned. Uh, the father wound. I actually was reading about that recently in a, in a book, uh, Wild at Heart. Uh, which you've probably heard of, uh, mm-hmm. but let's touch on that. And then the other one you mentioned, the uh, the father uh, hunger, hunger. Yes, L- let's talk about those. Uh, I think that that kind of is an interesting psychological thing that factors into uh, lots of men. Absolutely. Now, and there were studies. I think it was the studies might have been done in the eighties, and I doubt it's changed much. But they'll say maybe 17% of men either had or have a significant positive relationship with their father. And then if you go to the inner city, lower income, it gets even worse. And then look at the divorce rates. How many boys are growing up without a father? And now we have less male teachers in elementary and high school. So we have less positive male role models and elders to nourish young men. And there's something called initiations and rites of passages that all of the cultures years ago did so much of the similar things where when you're a young adolescent, you get removed from the women in the comfort zone and they take you out into the desert or the wilderness, wherever you are in the world. And you're just with your dad and your uncle and the older men in the community. And they teach you how to hunt and fish but they also teach you about your spiritual traditions and they teach you things like after you finish that book, I would suggest Adam's return by Richard Rohr that goes to the five lessons of initiation. Um, and there's some other great books, but that's a foundational one. Like life is hard. You are not that important. You are not in control. Your life is not about you and you're going to die. And those are lessons that you could expound upon (laughs) that you've learned as a 13 or 14 year old. Right. And it's now your job to be a young man and go back and serve the community. It's not about you. And we don't teach people that. And, and the statistics for not having a father or not having a positive relationship with your father prison, jail, incarceration, lower levels of education, higher suicide rate, depression, anxiety, all those things. We need positive male energy in our lives. And unfortunately, being a man in this culture, a lot of times now is paying the bills and leaving, raising the kids up to mom. But they need your emotional nourishment as well. As a man, as a father, like you coach their little league, show up to their music concerts, go for walks with them, what, whatever, find some hobbies to share with your sons mm-hmm. and spend time with them. And even if you're not a father, they say it takes one positive role model to breathe life into a child to make a difference. So be the coach, the teacher, the uncle, or the guy in the neighborhood that loves them, the kid that doesn't have a father her fa- his, his or her father isn't around. Um, but so, yeah, the father wound is that most of us didn't get what we needed from our dad, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like that's such a difficult thing to do, uh, nowadays. It's also a difficult thing to receive nowadays. Uh, 
one of the re- one of the episodes that we did, Ethan and I, we talked about the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, Ethan and I are both Eagle Scouts. We've gone through the program. I think it's a great uh, program for young men to have positive interactions with with older men that aren't their dad always. But mm-hmm. you know, with that, you 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 also there's a, an element of risk there. Uh, we know that in the Catholic Church, also in the Boy Scouts of America, also in many other organizations, people who work with youth who are predators are attracted to these positions, mm-hmm. and they come into the Boy Scouts of America, and they want to be with kids where they can corner someone on a camp out or something like that. And so you have almost have to be hyper-vigilant. I feel like I want my kids to have positive interactions with with male role models, but I feel like if some guy in the neighborhood was talking to my kid— I would be kind of on high alert, uh, you know, mm-hmm. because I don't know, is he a danger or is he, uh, you know, is he trying to you know, groom my son and to, and to get him to come over to his house? And then, I mean, it doesn't take but just five, a second for something to happen, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I think that our society is almost primed to think like that now, uh, especially as a parent of, of four boys. I'm constantly being vigilant about you know who my kids are spending time with if they're going over to someone's house i want to know what they're doing we've got gps trackers on the kids when they're when they're more than like a block away from the house and so that that is kind of a, a difficult aspect of uh because I, I want to provide that male leadership male uh role models to my children obviously but i'd like to do it to other kids whether that's uh you know volunteering as a scoutmaster uh or, mm-hmm. or a master or, or doing things in the community but I don't know. It's it's a difficult time to do that, and and I'm, masculinity is almost perceived as predatory yeah. to a certain extent, <laughs> which is scary. Especially when you want to be around kids, it's yeah. it's almost a shame because like I have a des- I I think influencing kids is one of the best things that anybody can do, but mm-hmm. uh, but when you think about it, there's also a lot of creepers out there who want to get in those positions so they can take advantage, and that is just so heartbreaking to me, and it kind of just taints the whole thing almost. Oh, there's a famous police psychologist, Kevin Gilmartin, who wrote a very famous book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. If there's any first responders or vets, read that book. And he talks, he does word association for cops to joke about how sarcastic cops are. And he (laughs) says, say what you think. And he puts different words up and he puts scout leader. And everybody's like pedophile, molester, you know, so (laughs) what you're talking about is even worse with cops. But I would say, at least for you screening other people, you know, we can only meet people as deeply as we've met ourselves. And if you're doing your work and you're tuned into yourself and working on yourself and very grounded emotionally and spiritually, I think for guys like you, you would probably know who is not the threat. You know, your discernment would probably be pretty spot on. Yeah. I would hope. Or my um, wife my wife is very discerning. She's got a, a sixth sense about these things. So then make sure she meets these dudes, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then as far as you loving on other people, I, I I think the same thing would happen, right? If it's the appropriate relationship, and especially if we're talking in the spiritual sense, like if it's ordained by God that you're gonna get to breathe some love and affirmation into some young man, Mm -hmm. like their mom or dad or whoever's involved, like hopefully it would, you know, it would click and you would know, but that is a scary thing. And it, and it, I'll be honest, even as a cradle Catholic dude, covering that stuff up, shuffling them around, re-traumatizing people, 
it's horrible. It's disgusting. Yeah. And yeah, no cell phones. I, I mean, I'm about to turn 47. We, we left in the morning on our BMX bikes and rode all over town playing sports at all their different buddies' house. Nobody knew where we were until we came home. Yeah. And we even rode around with guns on our back and nobody cared that 12 year olds <laughs> had guns on their back and just a different world. Yeah. And I, nothing happened to me and my friends. Thank God. But, but yeah, it's a different world now. I, and I think, I think there's safety in numbers, right? Um, you know, if I, I, I'm actually uh, in, in our church, I'm kind of have uh, been a, asked to be a youth leader over the 11 to 13 year olds. And so I've got like uh, four or five young boys that are about that, that age. And there's, there's uh, actually three leaders that we kind of come together and we work with the parents of these boys, but we're always, we kind of have that safety in numbers. There's always at least two of us and, uh, you know, we're kind of like, it's called too deep leadership, right? We're always, there's always at least two of us and, and, uh, if not more, and then parents of the boys, they know us well, uh, we know them well, the communication is open. Um, and so I think, I, I think the one thing there's safety in numbers, but also just that communication and trust is big to be able to, uh, you know, be open and, and communicating with, um, you know, one of my youth's parents to say, you know, Hey, I noticed that, you know, Johnny was a, a a little sad today or whatever else, just a quick text. I mean, we've never been, it's never been easier th- than today to communicate with people. Um, and so I think that goes a huge distance in, in that trust and everything else with, uh, helping others, kids, especially, but even, even adults. Yeah. Totally. Uh, you know, I, I think what you're saying is, is, is really powerful. Even like you talk about discernment and, and having that, your head on a swivel and really if you're right with yourself and you have that uh, ability to sense, you know, with, with the spirit, whether someone is, uh, has good intentions or, or possibly mixed intentions, uh, you know, having that uh, gift of discernment is, is critical. And, uh, you know, I, I like that comment. That was great. And discernment takes us caught co- discernment as well as if you've heard the phrase like responding versus reacting, so much of us are constantly reacting rather than responding, which means we got to call time out in our lives and pause and reflect like discernment doesn't happen, you know, on the fly. It can, but, you know, in the spiritual traditions, they'll say there's really important things to have an encounter with God or the mystery that's running the show. And that's silence, solitude, immersion in nature and some kind of fasting you know and in the old in the old days or whenever a lot of it is fasting from food which actually has a lot of health benefits yeah but these days i think something important for everyone but especially men fast from technology how much are you on your phone your tv the radio how much are you distracted like can you drive in silence without the radio on can you take 10 minutes a day where you shut down all technology. So fasting can be just shutting down technology, spending more time in nature and spending more time just in quiet and silence. Even if it's five minutes in the morning with your coffee, if you have a backyard or somewhere you can go and just get some quiet time. So I think all of that helps us be grounded, uh, helps us be more aware and more conscious of what's going on with our thoughts and our feelings and can help us discern where God might be showing up in our lives. Yeah, 
you know, you hit me right in the face with that with that comment there. I just got my uh, Spotify wrapped year in review, and I listened to over thirty six thousand hours of music this year. <laughs> Because I listen to my music when I'm working, you know, I work during the day and, and then when I'm working out in the morning and then when I'm driving in the car, I'm listening to music. So uh, maybe I just need to ratchet back a few thousand hours and just spend a couple minutes in silence every day. That's <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. It is that's a lot. like you forgot it running for an entire year. No, man. I just every morning for an hour and then most of the day I listen to music just throughout the day while I'm just working and stuff. So, um well, we have, we have one last question for you here. Uh, uh, this is a good one. So what are um, some things that men, uh, that a man or men uh, can do to build their self-confidence uh, in their own masculinity? Because I know that you said when you, you have gone through some different things, you had to rebuild that own co- your confidence there. How did you do that and then build that in your own masculinity? Well, like I said, mine was lifestyle habits that were developed before the major storms, lifestyle habits and a faith life and spiritual practices that, thank God, even during the darkest times of my life, got me through. And it was still miserable and scary and painful and sad and everything else. So start developing. I kind of break it down. Mental, your thought life, emotional, your feelings, your heart, physical and I believe that means doing some kind of exercise, but then also paying attention to sleep quality, nutrition, stress and trauma affect the body. So what are you doing to take care of your body? Get a massage once, once a month, acupuncture, sauna, cryotherapy, foam rolling, stretching, a yoga, a Tai Chi class. So not just all working out, but also just kind of recovery and nourishing your body. And then paying attention to your spirituality. And I define spirituality as whether you're religious or not, how are you living out the most important values in your life? So if you are, quote, religious, are you living out whatever your doctrine, your preacher teaches? Are you reflecting on your life and living out those values? Also, are you reflecting on your life and how are you relating to your community? How are you relating to humanity like all other people? We are fixated on us against them right now. Very dualistic thinking. You're Democrat. I'm Republican. You're conservative. I'm liberal. You voted for him. I voted for that. No, we, the more we grow in life, we should focus on what we have in common with others. Mm -hmm. So that's looking at how we relate to humanity. And then how do we relate to our higher power, our God? And that's like interior work or inner work, you Mm -hmm. might say. So I think to become more of a man, you need to pay attention to your thought life. Yeah. I mean, and it's just learning to pay attention first, what's going on, paying attention to your feelings, becoming aware of them, paying attention to your body with some kind of exercise and some kind of recovery. And also sleep is so crucial when it comes to mental health and nutrition. Our gut health impacts our mood, our inflammation levels and our immunity. So taking care of your body, and then spiritually, whether you're religious or not, are you taking time to reflect on your life every day or every week looking back? Are you living out the values that are most important to you? And are you connecting with your community, humanity, and your higher power in a positive and nourishing way? Um, and remember that self-care is not selfish. Men like grinding, 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 grinding. 
But if your well goes dry, you can't give anybody a drink of water and you're not your best version of yourself yeah. if you're not doing self-care in all of those areas and investing in your personal growth. Because the more of a man you can be, the more love and encouragement and affirmation you can give to the wife, the kids, and other people in the community. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that those are all, I mean, that's great advice. Every single one of those different aspects of building yourself up. And I liked how you said you had that kind of foundation so that when all of the, the, the storms, right, did hit and all of the, the, the trials maybe felt like they came to a head, you had something to lean back on and you had something mm-hmm. to kind of reset. You know, even you said you said you were you were overweight and all these other kind of things and just unhealthy and everything else. But then after you kind of came over the hill of that that trauma, then you you reverted back to what you reverted, reverted back to you. And that was mm-hmm. the the person that had, uh, you know, had these 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 good habits beforehand, which I think is is excellent. You can relate it to fitness levels. So if anybody's played sports in their life, you know what it's like as a kid. I used to remember like baseball season, we didn't run much. So I played football, baseball, basketball, Well, baseball season. You didn't run. And then came football season. You're like, God dang it. I was in such good cardio playing basketball base. I should have kept running during baseball season. Or if you have an injury or you quit working out, it is so much harder to get back in shape and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, we all have fitness levels. I know like how much are you meditating? How much are you journaling? Like you build up a fitness level and do you want to wait till you're 300 pounds obese, drinking two liters of Coca-Cola every day, smoking two packs of cigarettes and say, Hey, now I want to get in shape because I'm going through a divorce. Yeah. I have some other external thing that's painful and horrible. And then I'm going to try to work on myself. So I think it's better to try to keep in shape. And another thing we struggle with as men is being perfectionist. Well, I'm not going to start working out until I can do five days a week for an hour in the perfect weightlifting and cardio. I'm not going to start doing jujitsu until I can do it four days a week. (laughs) No, one day a week is better than no days a week. Walking for 10 minutes a day is better than not working out. So man, you can do so much in your life, 15 minutes a day. Yeah, man. If you walk for 15 minutes a day, or you do push-ups, sit-ups, and chin-ups for 15 minutes a day, three days a week, it's better than doing nothing. Yeah. If you drop one energy drink this week, it's better than not, you know, eating a the perfect clean paleo, keto, carnivore, vegetarian, Mediterranean, whatever. Pick your plan. <laughs> we can't be perfectionists, right? Yeah. So just make small improvements in in each area of your life and build on them. They they will snowball. You'll get momentum. Justification is so easy. It's so easy just to be like, oh well, uh, I'm not going to do that because. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it exactly how it's supposed to be. Oh, I'm not going to do that workout routine because, uh, you know, my my back hurts and I can't do squats. So I'm not going to go to the gym. Well, like there's there's other stuff you can do, right? I mean, there's, yeah, but it's so easy. At least at least for me to kind of justify that and just say, uh, well, I can't do this, so everything else is out the door, which is is not true. You know, focus on what you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just you. So tonight, (laughs) both of you guys have said things where you're like, hey, this is me. You know, I want to problem solve. This is me. I'm not going to do it unless I can squat, but my back hurts. (laughs) This is 90% of men. And I don't know who those 10% are, 
I'd like to meet him. We'll have him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I think that, you know, yeah, everybody's a lot of guys, a lot of guys, and not just guys too, women struggle with the same thing. You know, I know my wife sometimes struggles with this perfectionist mentality where it's like, well, if I can't do it just right, then maybe I shouldn't do it at all. And so um, this has been great. Uh, such great advice. And this has been such a great conversation. We absolutely love this. And uh, we, we, we want to ask you one more question, though, bef- uh, that we ask all of our guests. Uh, and this is regarding uh, personal creed. So as you know, we are a brother's creed. And, and the purpose of the podcast is to help build everyone's creed and to help uh, build their, their personal set of beliefs uh, through all the great stuff that you shared today. Uh, so we, we want to ask you is it, if you can share a piece of your own personal creed or a quote or a mantra uh, that kind of represents what your uh, core belief system is or some of the principles that keep you going. I probably already covered them in one way or another. But <laughs> you I'll, shared some I'll great stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, first of all, seek the truth in all situations. And if possible, respond rather than react. And that can be really hard, especially when our emotions are involved. So seek the truth in whatever manner you can, reflect on it. And then what is the most loving thing I can do grounded in truth in this situation? And I'm not saying... I'm perfect at that, but that's my objective in life. Seek the truth, respond rather than react and do what's the most loving thing I can do in every situation grounded in the truth. And then as I evolve in life, knowing that my plans have been all the I've had so many different plans in life that have been changed by injuries, sports injuries, medical retirement. Um, I, there's, I didn't plan on being a cop. I didn't plan on being in ministry. I definitely didn't plan on being a chaplain. I had plans to be a psychologist. Um, so as we grow and evolve, and even as we face setbacks, evaluate my life and again, reflect on what gifts and talents do I have and what lessons have I learned up to this point and where do they meet a need in the world? And can I apply myself to fit that need? And if it feels right, pour my heart and soul into it. And lastly, the perfectionist thing, because I have tried to overcome perfectionism and have been forced to because of medical issues, um, just do the best you can in whatever situation and man, don't beat yourself up so much, you know? Uh, yeah. Love yourself. It's love yourself. Self, so what would you say earlier? Self-care is not selfish. Mm-hmm. I think, and and even the same thing, if your well is dry, then you can't give anyone else anything to drink. And so learning how to uh, learn to love or even just like yourself and, 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 and compliment yourself will highly affect anyone else around you. Um, Huge. And yeah, it's just, it's... It's just like the, it will give you a glow that other people will be attracted to because they'll they'll feel that in you. And another thing you said that that I just that really hit me hard was uh, was it respond rather than react. And especially with kids, I find myself you know I've got kids ranging from almost eight to nine months, and um, it is so easy when they're doing something or whatever else that I just just react just like that. And just, it's just an emotional reaction response. But then 
afterwards I'm like, well, maybe I jumped to conclusions or maybe I, you know, maybe I was a little too harsh or whatever else, which, uh, you know, certain circumstances uh, require maybe being more stern, but how many times do I just react and I don't respond to a situation and uh, think about, think about something before I say it. Um, That hit me really hard and something I'm going to specifically take away from this. So thank you. Liked what you said about seeking, you know, you said seek truth and everything. It kind of reminds me of what Christ said. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, which really when I hear that seeking the kingdom of God, that, that means seeking to me, that means seeking truth wherever it may be. Uh, in mm-hmm. conversations and in, in good books and uh, in, in kindness of strangers. And so uh, I love that aspect as well. Awesome. There was a couple other things, quotes that I do use a lot if we have two minutes to yeah, just yeah. burn through some quotes. Another problem with men is there's a longer story I won't give, but there's a acronym that somebody created based on something I told them, W-O-Y-O-S-F, work on your own stuff first. So men hear information, read the book, go to the men's workshop, and then like, let me go teach some other people. But if you haven't applied that to your own life with consistency, passion, and discipline over a period of time, so there's been some experiential learning and you're really modeling it, it's not time for you to teach it. Yeah, You can get a PhD in leadership. You're not a leader until you've applied that stuff to your own life. And men can often do that. So Work on your own stuff first. And then these are uh, one quote from Richard Rohr is pain that is not transformed is transmitted. And another quote to kind of highlight that if you don't heal what hurt you, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. Hmm. And that goes for all of us. Yeah. So work on your own stuff. And that includes when you, whether you've been hurt as a child or in a previous relationship or with a bad boss like learn the lesson and work through that pain so you don't pass it on to someone else. Love that. I love, I love quotes. That's, that's great. I, I love what you said there. Um, so powerful. It applies to everybody. You know, you don't bleed all over everybody else. Solve your own problems first. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this has been Excellent, Matt. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to talk with us and and the listeners. Uh, I I personally have gained a lot from this conversation, just uh, you know, for my own personal growth and taking a kind of like what what Jerry was saying earlier, what you're saying, a personal inventory of of uh, where I can improve and uh, improve myself and fix myself, but also to, to help others around me. Uh, very beneficial. So thank you, Matt, so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. Like I told you in an email, I've only done police and first responder only interviews and podcasts. So to just get to talk about masculinity, being a man and a faith life, it was like super treat. I was so excited to talk to you guys and I had such a great time. So thank you so much. Yes. Appreciate that. And uh, Matt, uh, tell us where, where our listeners can find you. Uh, I know you are on Instagram. You want to give that yeah, a shout? So, yeah, so Thin Blue Line Spirituality. That's the Instagram account, Thin Blue Line Spirituality. I'm on LinkedIn, Matt Tomiancic. There's two, a cousin, but you can figure out mine because it has my picture and price says police. <laughs> and then the website, tacticalchaplain.com. Somebody bought me that website, tacticalchaplain.com. It gives my biography. 
that gives my mission for my ministry, uh, ways to help, and all of the articles I've been mentioned in, and also all the podcast interviews that I've done. So tacticalchaplain.com. Excellent. Well, thanks, Matt, for your time. And to all of our listeners out there, you can find us on social medias as well. And uh, also check out our TikTok. Ethan and I are posting some good good stuff on there. We'll post uh, clips of this interview on there so you can see some of that. And uh, to everybody who's listening, let's build that creed together. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. All right.